unexpected. We're so glad you guys are here. It's an artistic rendering of, of course, a meeting that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had uh, with an angel. And as you can imagine, there couldn't be anything more unexpected. Can you imagine if an angel, a, a heavenly being, showed up, just showed up right in your space in the middle of the night and spoke to you? How unexpected that would be. And then, of course, the story of Mary is one that goes on to a beautiful story of unexpected events that we're going to talk about tonight. During Christmas, like many of you, we have a visitor that comes to our house every December, and his name is Ernie, Ernie the Elf. And Ernie shows up to our house, and every morning he's in a different location. And all three of our kids, they come downstairs and they look for Ernie. And every time they find Ernie, they're totally surprised. They just cannot believe. They just, they see him in certain spots and they go, I found Ernie. There he is right there sitting. What's he doing right there? Like the other day, they came downstairs and they found him hanging by the dog. And our our daughter looked looked at Ernie and went, well, there's Ernie. He's right there by that dog. What's he doing by that dog? And it was like, Totally unexpected. She just was totally surprised. Of course, every morning, Ernie's somewhere else. Next day, he's by the banister. What is he doing there? He's so silly. And I'm going, I have, I have no idea what Ernie's doing there. No clue. And then, of course, one of the mornings, Ernie ended up somewhere uh, way more unexpected than he normally did. In a roll of toilet paper. And it was completely unexpected, and the kids just thought that this was the funniest thing. Now, no spoilers here, but I think when all of our kids grow up, if you have an elf that visit your, visits your house like we have an elf that visits our house, I think that when all of our kids grow up, they'll learn that what was uh, unexpected was actually directed, and that's all I'm going to say about that, that in fact, there's someone working behind the scenes and something going on. And in the Christmas story, and ultimately, in this whole journey we live on planet Earth through faith, we get to experience unexpected events all the time. And the Christmas story is a hyper-personification of unexpected events. What happened to Mary was completely unexpected. What happened to Joseph, the father of Jesus, was completely unexpected. What happened to Jesus, this Savior whom we worship tonight was completely unexpected. But when you look back on it, you can see it was God-directed. And sometimes we get so myopic in our world that we only see what's right in front of us. And it can cause panic and distress. But my challenge for you guys tonight, and where I want to take us all, if you've taken time out of your weekend to be a part of Unexpected, is to look at the moments that you're living in right now and go, I'm certain, because of what I heard on Christmas Eve at 514 Church, that what's unexpected is actually God-directed. That God is doing something in my life, no matter what. And I want to take us all tonight on a journey of faith through the Christmas story and look through that lens and apply it to your life so that you can step back and go, my faith is increased because of the Christmas story. A famous author named Philip Yancey said this. He said, faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. 
And today, you have faith and you have to decide who you're going to put that in and what you're going to trust with your life. Because there will be unexpected things that happen. And if you trust that God is working, at some point, you will be able to look back and go, that was unexpected, but it was God-directed. And the story of Christmas is the perfect example of God's working behind the scene to make something great that in the moment seemed crazy, seemed out of sorts. When we talk about two of the, the most famous characters of the Christmas story, the first one, of course, is Mary. And what was expected in Mary's life, what she was going through, was she was married. She was a, a young Jewish girl, 13, maybe 14 years old, and she was engaged to a man named Joseph to be married. And then as we saw in the video, an angel showed up and said, hey, you are going to be the mother of God. You are going to carry the king of kings. And he is going to be born through you. And you're going to give his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he is going to take away the sins of the world. Can you imagine, ladies, at that season in your life when you're just expecting to get engaged, you're, just, you're expecting to get married because you're engaged, you're expecting to go build a family, and then God comes along and says, I have a totally different track for your life. Can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine the challenge of that unexpected event? And the thing we know about Mary is that as soon as the angel tells her this, is that she actually has an amazing response, and it's one of the reasons she gets so much credit and so much attention in the story of the Bible. She's, she has this response where she sings a song, and she embraces God's unexpected plan for her life. Now, when Mary, when she starts to sing this song, which is a famous song that some of you have heard called the Magnificat, she actually quotes 18 different passages from the Old Testament. Which means that Mary knew the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures that defined her history, her background, and her God whom she served. And so when she was given this unexpected change of plans, her response was, okay, God has just brought me into this. And she must have had a moment where she went back and looked in the book of Isaiah at a specific passage where it talks about God using a virgin to bring the Savior of the world, into our lives. Because in Isaiah, it says this. This is a, a, a moment for Mary where she's looking back and looking at her life and looking at the book of Isaiah, something that was written hundreds of years before she had her encounter and before she had Jesus. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, I've read this a hundred times, and maybe you have too, and a lot of us know that we call Mary the Virgin Mary. But I like to call her Mary the Virgin because God actually had directed before Mary was even born that a virgin would be the one who is conceived and gives this child of God to the world. And so think about Mary going, the virgin, I, I was a virgin. I was a virgin when the messenger came to me. Only Mary, think about it, only Mary knew she was a virgin. No one else knows. I mean, a girl could say she's a virgin and not be a virgin. But she knows, whoa, this was written down hundreds of years before. I was betrothed to be married, engaged. 
I had a totally different plan for my life. And God showed up and he miraculously brought me, lined me up right into a story that he had been directing for hundreds of years. And in that moment, Mary must have had a, an, an epiphany. She must have had this eye-opening burst of excitement, this thrill of joy. And she knew that what threw off her path and threw off her plan was unexpected, but it was God-directed. It was God-directed. Now, I'm gonna say unexpected, but God-directed a couple more times tonight. And just to liven it up, when I say unexpected but God-directed, would you guys like say something back to me? Are you guys into that? Maybe, eh. If you're new to church and like you didn't grow up in the church, I mean, just open up a little bit because you're here. So maybe God will do something crazy in your life. Like maybe something unexpected will happen for you. So here's what I want you guys to do, just because we need to interact a little bit. Is that okay? Liven it up, it's dark in here, we can't see each other. When I say unexpected but God-directed, you guys say, yeah, it is. Okay? So let me just, let's just practice real quick. So Mary has this moment where she reads Isaiah, and she sees the virgin, and she realizes, I'm the virgin. That was unexpected to me, but God-directed. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Because that's the way that God works. He brings something into your world you weren't expecting, and he's working all the time. Imagine your life if you knew that every time something unexpected happened. How different would it be? Your perception of your unexpected path, your unexpected challenges. Of course, Mary's son, whom God promised her, is born. He grows up. He's perfect. He's God in the flesh. He doesn't make any mistakes. He's, he's sinless. He is God in a bod. You can write that down. He is God in the flesh. Theology or the study of God calls it the hypostatic union. 100% man and 100% God walks on this earth. Then he walks on water. Then he feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread. Then he heals some lame people. He gives blind people sight. And he starts to tell people that he is God. Eventually, because leadership is scared of his growing following, he ends up in Jerusalem. He gets arrested, and he gets tried for calling himself God, which is called blasphemy. And he gets sentenced to die a gruesome, excruciating death on a Roman cross. And the day that Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross, dying, because people are saying that he is blaspheming, the Romans mock him. And above his cross, as he's hanging there, his body beaten, and he's about to die, they, if you were there, you would see above his head a sign that says, King of the Jews. King of the Jews. And when Jesus was born, Mary was told he would save the people from their sins, that he would be God with us. And those people were expecting a king. And so they expected that Jesus would do all the things that he said he would do, but then when he would go into Jerusalem one time, that he would become a real king, a literal king, that would use swords and power and horses and influence, and that he would take over Jerusalem from this horrific moment in history where they were ruled 
treacherously by the Romans. And so when Jesus is hanging on a cross, you might look at that and go, what is going on? Why is Jesus, who's supposed to be a king, why is he dying on a cross? It looks like he's not being a king. It looks like he's losing. It looks like he lost. It looks like he's fake. It looks like everything he said and the virgin birth and all of it isn't relevant anymore. When Jesus is dying on that cross, when he's hanging on that cross, it's actually happening, and some of you know this and some of you don't, it's happening on the exact same day, and he's hanging on the cross at the exact same hour that a Passover lamb is being sacrificed for the sins of Israel. Same time. When Jesus went into Jerusalem, he went for this festival and this celebration called the Passover. Now, some of us don't know what the Passover is. Here's a quick rendition of the Passover. Years and years before, thousands of years before the time of Christ, the Israelite people were in slavery in Egypt. God used Moses to miraculously free the people from slavery. And Moses' kind of last uh, display through God was something called the Passover, and it was really God's power on display to free the people. And what God told the people of Israel to do in those ghettos in Egypt was to take a lamb and to sacrifice the lamb, to actually to cut the lamb, kill the lamb, and let the blood of that lamb drip down into some type of something they could catch it in. And then they were told in the scriptures that they were supposed to take that blood and put it over their doorposts. And that that night, a force of death would move through the camp. And wherever that force of death saw blood, it would pass over the house and go to the next house. And then when it got to that house, if it saw blood, it would pass over and go to the next door. And where it didn't see blood, this force of death would move in and the firstborn child was done and dead. And what happens in the, in the story is amazing. Essentially, it's a picture of when there's blood on your door, you're safe. And if you don't have blood, the blood of a lamb on your door, you're not safe. You're dead. And the next morning, bunches of Egyptian people woke up with dead firstborn children. And the king at that moment said, this is it. We're letting them, we got to let them all go. And that was the miracle that sprung the people free. If you look in Exodus, it was told this way, God, after you put the blood over your door, will pass through to strike Egypt down. He will strike down people that don't have the blood. When he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, God will pass over the doorway. He won't let the destroyer enter your house to strike you down with ruin. And so the Israelite people, they're set free. They get to go, they get to go start. And God told them, after they were set free from Egypt, that every single year, on the special day, the day of Passover, that they were supposed to sacrifice a perfect lamb to remember the moment that God set them free from slavery in Egypt. And so, we see that Jesus Christ, after 33 years of life and a perfect life, is hanging on a cross, and at the same time, a Passover lamb is being sacrificed, and you might ask the question, what is going on? This is unexpected. We thought he was going to be a king, and now he's dying, and he's dying at the same time as a Passover lamb. What is going on? And what you will see is that when you look back at what God did from the very beginning of Jesus' life, 
What was unexpected was God-directed. When Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem for a census, they entered into a town where there were so many people, so many people that there was nowhere for them to stay. And so they had to stay out in the countryside. And some people think they stayed in a stable, but actually where they stayed was in a cave in the side of a hill where shepherds would raise animals, specifically sheep. Some of us don't know that the sheep in Bethlehem were the kind of sheep that were used for the Passover. In fact, in Bethlehem, they specialized in raising Passover lambs. And so Jesus, because there's no room in the inn, has to move in to a cave where sheep are born and bred for Passover. Now Mary, of course, is going, what is going on? There's so much sheep poop. What is the deal? And she's going, I didn't expect this. I was told that there was a king. And what she's going to find out is that what was unexpected was God directed. And she's in this cave and she has this baby and he's supposed to be a king and there's nowhere for him to lay down. So they take a feeding trough. And she didn't know at the time that this this bed was an actual king-size bed because it was for the king of kings. In the moment, she looked at it and thought, God messed this up. This isn't right. And of course, Jesus is born, and in these caves where Passover lambs are born, there are cloths all over. Because when a Passover lamb is born, they wrap it up in cloth because they thrash when they're born, and these Passover lambs are supposed to be spotless. So what they would do is they would have a Passover lamb born, and they'd wrap it up in cloth like this so that it wouldn't hurt itself. And so Mary is sitting in there, and she sees what they've got some lambs wrapped up in, and she takes some of the cloth, and she wraps him up because she has nothing else. And she's thinking, I'm wrapping my baby up in the same thing they wrap a sheep up in. She was about to learn that what was unexpected was God-directed. Because she's there, and as the story goes, there's Passover lambs in this cave, and it says this in Luke, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for the end, in the end. And what she had to have happen was that someday, look back, maybe the day that she was at the foot of the cross, maybe the day that she was there when Jesus was dying on a cross, and the same time that a Passover lamb was being sacrificed, maybe she had this moment where she went, my son was born and wrapped up in swaddling clothes the same way a Passover lamb is wrapped up. And the reason is this. When Jesus came onto the scene and started to do his ministry, his cousin said this, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ, who was born and put in a king-sized bed, and who was wrapped up in swaddling clothes the same way that a Passover lamb is wrapped up, Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Lamb of God. 
And what was unexpected to Jesus being on the cross and unexpected for being wrapped up as a baby in swaddling clothes was God directed from the beginning. Isn't that amazing? And then God like does this great crescendo and he makes worship happen in this explosive moment where he brings all these pieces together. He goes out through an angelic host. He sends his choir to a bunch of shepherds who raise these sheep the same night, the same time that Jesus is born. They show up in the middle of the sky. They burst on the scene. Fear not, for behold, we bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then the angels say this, and this will be a sign to you. You will find an infant, not a sheep wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a king-sized bed. And the shepherds went, swaddling clothes? That's what they wrap Passover lambs in. And we were just told that that's a sign for the king, so this must be the king. And they ran into the cave and they said, it's Jesus, it's, it's the Savior, it's Emmanuel. What was unexpected was God-directed. You see, when you go through the story of just the birth of Jesus, you see piece after piece of God doing things that to the people in the story might have shocked them, surprised them, and thrown them off because it was so unexpected. But as you look back, you see it was God-directed. You see that God was working. You see that God brought them to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was this place where Passover lambs were raised. He put them in a cave, the same place the Passover lambs were born, because Jesus Christ is born as the Lamb of God. Jesus is the only baby who has ever been born to die, just like a Passover lamb was born to die. He was born to die to take away the sins of the world. And of course, Jesus hanging on a cross looks like failure, but what it was was freedom. What it was was victory. Because Jesus is the kind of king that you and I need, not the kind that we want. And the scriptures say that we are in trouble because of our sin. And that the only thing that can take away our sin is the blood of a lamb. And we need the lamb of God. And so when you embrace Jesus, it's just like Passover. It's just like those, those, those Israelite people in Egypt you embrace Jesus, and the blood of Jesus covers you, and death passes over you. And that, that doesn't mean you won't physically die, because everyone will physically die, but it means that one day you will be with God for eternity because you embraced the gift of Jesus Christ. Listen, the whole Christmas story is this unexpected, God-directed masterpiece made by God. I want to teach you a word tonight to kind of tie this up, and it's a word that's a big word, and you might have heard it before, but I want to try to make it simple for you, and it's this, sovereignty. God is sovereign. Sovereign. Everybody say sovereign. God is sovereign, and what that means is that God is all-powerful. He is completely in control, that with God, there's no luck, there's no happenstance, that he sits above everything and is totally in control of everything that's ever been created. There's no accidents with God. 
You might see an accident, but you can't see from God's perspective. He's sovereign. You might see something going wrong, and God has a bigger view, and he can see what's going to happen down the road. God is sovereign. He's totally powerful. It's kind of like a cowboy who goes to an insurance agent for insurance and says, hey, I want to get some insurance. And the insurance agent says, well, have you ever had any accidents? He said, well, no, I haven't had any accidents. He said, my, uh, my horse kicked me in the ribs one time and a snake bit me. That hurt, but no accidents. And the insurance, a- the insurance agent says, wait a minute, you got kicked by your horse and bit by a snake? Those sound like accidents. He goes, no, 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 no. The horse and the snake did that on purpose. You see, there's no accidents with God. He knows. You might see something as wrong. He knows what's going on. And so when we look at the Christmas story, you guys, tonight when we look at this amazing picture that God had a king-sized bed for his son, a baby, a, a vulnerable, humble baby that would grow up to be a king, the king we need, not the king we want, that we would see the symbolism of his journey and the symbolism of his purpose on earth through swaddling clothes from day one, it should make you step back and go, if he is in that type of control, I want to give him control of my life. If he is able to weave all that together, then I want him to weave me into his plan. And so you and I, at Christmas time, have to pause and ask this question. Where is my faith? Is my faith in me? Or is my faith in God? And there's lots of ways to cloak your faith. And ultimately, if it's not in God, it's in yourself. You're placing your faith in your finances. You're placing your faith in someone. You're, faith in, you're placing your faith in, in somewhere, something that you've done. And ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of your life, if you have spent all of it with your faith in you, then you will pass away. And because you didn't place your faith in Jesus and you didn't give him your life, then death doesn't pass over you in a spiritual sense. And so you have to place your faith in him. You have to say, okay, God, if you can do all this, then I want you to take care of this. Here's my question for you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, do you really know what you're doing? You see, humility is the beginning of salvation. Humility is the beginning of your life changing. For you to stand before God and say, I God, I got my handle on some but not all of my life. I got some things going on. I got some stuff in my life, and I feel like I'm losing grip. And God goes, yeah, you are. You are. In fact, you never, ever had it. You see, you have a plan for your life. You have a thing that you do. You're trying to figure it all out. You're trying to wrap your mind around it, and you look at just one of God's many, many stories of infinite sovereignty, and it should blow your mind and make you humbly turn over the reins to God. But you're holding on. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what's gonna happen tomorrow? You don't. You know what's gonna happen to someone you love? Do you know what's gonna happen with your finances? Do you know what's gonna happen with your job? You don't. You don't know. God knows and he's in control of it. You should trust him with your life. He can handle it better than you can. J. Vernon McGee said this, this is God's universe. God does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. 
None of us do. We can barely control every minute of our lives, if we're honest. But God is in control, and he loves you. Look what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. The scriptures say that God has a wonderful plan, a great plan for your life. And he says that all things work together for good to them who love God. And so when you place your faith in a sovereign God's hands, then he can weave all bad things into beautiful things. He can take stuff that gets busted and make it better. It's just the way that God is. He can take what is unexpected and turn it into a God-directed miracle. And ultimately, what you need to hear with the Christmas story is that God has a great plan for his children, and he wants you to be one of them. And when you place your faith in Christ, then unexpected wonder is coming your way. It gives you that ability to look at the the problems, the challenges that come your way and go, if God did that, then he can handle this. If God's doing what he's done in the past and he's the same God and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then man, I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust in Jesus. Look at what God did. Thousands of years before Jesus, he gave us a picture of Passover and blood. And then he reminded us at Christmas and then he proved it on the cross. It's unexpected. But it was God-directed. Now, I, I want to ask you tonight, Have you given your life to Christ? There's a famous anecdote about Abraham Lincoln where he met with a bunch of ministers during the Civil War and they sat down together and the minister said, let's pray and let's ask God to be on our side. And Abraham Lincoln said, no, let's pray and ask God if we're on his side. You have to not ask the question, who you are, but whose you are. Do you believe in Christ? Have you surrendered your will? Have you surrendered your soul? Tonight's the night to do that. Now, here's how this all played out for me, and then I'll give you an opportunity to be able to place your faith in Christ in a sovereign God who can take unexpected things and turn them into God-directed wonders because it's happened in my life. This is not just something I'm standing up here trying to weave together to make sense for you. This is something that I am living and have lived. I have six brothers and two sisters, and when I was nine years old, my parents got divorced. There was five of us. My mom and dad had five kids in six years. And they got, they got divorced, and it was unexpected. It was difficult to say the least. As a child, I didn't even know what was going on. And then it got a little worse because my mom, uh, because of, of, of her pain, she moved to Colorado. She took my younger brother and sister and moved back to her mom. And I understand why she did it. She, she needed to do it to go back to her mom. And she was broken by the divorce. And, and I get all that. But I, I was left with her absence. And it was difficult for me. And for a long time, and even up until recent years, I've struggled with what happened during that moment. Why? Why? Why did mom leave? Why did my parents get divorced? What brokenness? And ultimately, I've spent a lot of time focusing on the absence of my mom. And it's not that I'm specifically bitter towards my mom. It's just that I'm broken because my mom wasn't there. And not having your mom in your life is a challenging situation for anybody. 
But it just clicked. Something clicked to me as I was looking at this message and I was thinking about talking to you guys. Something clicked. Something hit me. And it was, there was a God-directed peace behind this unexpected pain. You see, when my mom left, it was so difficult, it's hard to imagine. And some of you have gone through something like that. And some of you are going through something like that. But at the same time, my dad remarried a woman named Kathy. And Kathy is one of the reasons that I am standing up here today. You see, she fell in love with Jesus, and she was my stepmom. And in the absence of my real mom, she started to teach us about the scriptures alongside my dad and teach us who God was. And she prayed for me every single day, and she gave me cards all the time that had the same verse in them from Joshua, Joel, be strong and courageous. And all throughout my life, I look back and I go, look at this beautiful woman that God brought into my life. I've been thinking and hung up on the pain instead of God's provision. And now I look back and I go, that was unexpected, but God directed. God is working. God is always working through problems. And I wanted to take Christmas, and I thought you guys wouldn't mind to just honestly say it that way to my stepmom for the first time. To just look her in the face and say, I'm so glad that God brought you in my life. Instead of, I'm in so much pain because my mom isn't here. She's never heard it that way. And I'm going to tell her that for the first time because she's coming to the next service, so don't say it to her on the way out. But I'm telling you right now, you are experiencing something. You are going through something right now that feels off. And I promise you that what feels off to you is not outside of God's power. And so you can grip tight and try to figure it out and make sense of it all, or you can hand your soul and your every day over to the King of Kings who told you of his goodness and his love for you the day he was born. So here's how you do this. If you've never embraced Christ as your personal savior, it's basically saying I accept his gift on the cross because the cross is a picture of him taking your place. The scriptures say that because of our sin and brokenness, we deserve to die. So Jesus came down and was the perfect substitutionary replacement. He replaced you and me. And so he's, he's up there as the spotless lamb of God, dying for our sins, because he doesn't have to be up there. He doesn't deserve to be up there. And he says, I am the payment for your sins. Just like if you got a speeding ticket, and you went in and you had to pay it, and then your dad showed up and said, I'll pay it for you. You didn't deserve to get it paid off, but dad paid for it. You only have to say, okay, I know I need that payment, I know I have that bill, and I want Jesus to pay for it today. And that's the reason that Jesus came to planet Earth. It's the reason he was wrapped up like a Passover lamb, is so that you could be passed over to. And so I'm gonna invite you right now to say a prayer with me. I want everyone to close their eyes, and I want everyone to just engage for a minute and just slow down. And if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you can just kind of pray for the people around you that maybe they never have. But if this is you and you've never actually said, I want to accept the gift of Jesus Christ, 
then in your heart right now, you can say through faith, you can say this, you can say, God, thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for being the Passover lamb. Right now, I accept your gift of salvation. I believe that I'm a sinner and I've broken your rules and I believe that you have paid for my sins on the cross and I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to you for the salvation of my soul right now. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for me so that I don't have to experience eternal separation from you. Amen. Guys, if you said that prayer, then before you leave tonight, we're going to do something here in a minute, but before you leave tonight, would you just take one of those communication cards, those comment cards that are underneath your chair, and would you write your name on there in an email address, something legible that we can reach you with? And just in the box below, if you embrace Jesus Christ for the first time, would you write unexpected? Because you came here tonight, and maybe you didn't expect that God was going to save your soul. But he's been directing it this whole time, and he's not surprised that you're here. So now we're going to take a minute and just sit in this moment and just reflect and pray. And we're going to listen to Lori and Lopez sing, uh, Oh, Holy Night. Maybe now. When you think about Jesus being wrapped in swaddling clothes, the way a Passover lamb is wrapped up, you might think this is a night unlike any other because this is a king unlike any other because this is a birth unlike any other. And that's what the word holy means. It means totally different. Totally different. A totally different night. Every other baby is born to live. Jesus was born to die. So you don't have to. 